the reading of the scriptures, the book of Acts. Your bulletin says Acts 25, verse 23, uh, through all of chapter 26. I'm simply going to read all of chapter 26 for us. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. 
And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is uh, my observation, whether true or genuine or not, I'll leave to others, but it's my observation that most people live out their lives absent any real sense of uh, purpose or meaning. Uh, no sense of uh, destiny. Everything is utterly self-contained. I'm not unmindful that they have meaning in their families and children, uh, perhaps work. All of those things are radically important, but it's uh, only self-contained within their lives. The entire sum of their existence is just that. If you think of the Christian, it's it's not so in any manner whatsoever. Uh, we don't drift because we have meaning and purpose. Uh, and we see the meaning and purpose in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. And I believe it uh, is a derivative of our own meaning and purpose, something that is utterly outside of us, that grants to us a divine sense of the blessings of heaven, of God himself, who gives us meaning and purpose. That's not just temporal, it's everlasting. Our context is the third civil trial, Paul, before Herod Agrippa II. If that name is familiar to you, and it should be, his grandfather presided over the trial of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the charges against Paul are obviously very vague, uh, but nonetheless, uh, he's undergoing a civil trial on behalf of uh, two Roman governors. Uh, essentially, the charges, as you know, are religious, and this is a civil court. Uh, not unlike our own country, our civil judges don't entertain religious charges, uh, at least to this point in our country. Uh, God be gracious to us that uh, they never will, but uh, one never knows. Um, and the Roman governors, or King Agrippa, come to this conclusion, it wasn't against Roman law to believe in the eternal God. But Paul begins, as he answers the charges been brought against him by the Jews, by reciting in a measure his personal testimony as a member of physical Israel. 
in which he had the meaning and purpose to destroy the Christian faith, uh, verses 1 to 11. And so he begins by detailing his accomplishments as a Pharisee. Uh, if you will, uh, the Apostle Paul was an expert in biblical law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, but his particular accomplishment uh, brought before this Roman civil court was uh, that he was persecuting the church. Uh, Acts chapter 26 and verse 11, As I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. It's very interesting, uh, the verb to pursue can also be translated to persecute. That's really what persecution is. It's to pursue someone and to never let up. And Paul is not going to let up because his meaning and purpose was entirely self-contained in physical Israel. And Paul thought, like the adherents of all uh, false religions of the world, that what he was doing was the will of God. You know, I, I, I might remind you that uh, hatred and doing harm to people um, is never an enduring principle and will always fail. And certainly is uh, not the will of God. Regardless of other religions that practice physical violence, uh, that is something that should be vacant, uh, uh, the uh, life of the Christian. Because again, hatred is not the way God works. Uh, nevertheless, uh, something radical is going to happen to the Apostle Paul uh, because the eternal God is going to come and arrest him and give him true purpose and everlasting meaning. Uh, it is as radical a supernatural event as we can read in Scripture. And of course, it's the resurrection. Uh, now, uh, I'm not unmindful that uh, you and I are radically different from the Apostle Paul, uh, but we had our own Damascus Road experience as a product of a supernatural God coming for us and saving and commissioning us and really giving us eternal meaning and purpose and absent that supernatural invasion, everything else is utterly self-contained in the life of an individual that really will ultimately morph into despair because everything will be taken away. One of the great refrains of Scripture, um, men are like the grass, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God lasts forever. It's that word that's going to confront the Apostle Paul. And it's a radical event as there ever has been, but again, I affirm to you in your own way, it occurred to you. So Paul is arrested beginning in verse 12 and commissioned by the Lord Jesus, and he receives a defining purpose as true Israel to advance the messianic mission. Again, verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Uh, So 
Uh, Paul was a member of physical Israel. He was an ethnic Jew. Uh, but he's going to be recommissioned as a member of spiritual Israel. And so it's our, our Lord's encounter with Paul on the road to Damascus. This is, as you know, if you've been studying the book of Acts with me from the beginning, this is the third encounter in which Paul raises this dramatic event. Uh, it was so powerful, uh, so ingrained in his heart and soul that it never left him, the reality of it. So it's the third time we will study this single event in all of its power and drama as it occurred to the Apostle Paul. I, I would, simply by application, uh, I know if you're a Christian that God met you, the wonderment of that should never leave you because of all that it means. The memory should not fade. Uh, the power of the arrest should never be lost on you because of the supernatural of it. Of it. And it left a lasting and indelible mark on the apostle because it identifies Christ as the Messiah, meaning that his kingdom has begun. Uh, taking his seat at the right hand of the Father, he rules there as king. Uh, kingdom has started. Uh, don't really have time to get into the reality of that, but I'm simply to use another metaphor. Uh, if you will, uh, his kingdom train is leaving the station. Compelling reason to understand who he is. So the encounter begins uh, in verse 13. Paul sees a uh, light from heaven of incredible brightness. Uh, and uh, the light... Um, the light does something very unusual. It speaks to Paul. It's really the majesty, the eternal effulgence of the glory of God, present in the person of Christ, in all of his resurrected glory, so so bright it's going to blind the Apostle Paul. And the light speaks to Paul. If you think about it, it only comes for Paul. There were other men with Paul. But the light only comes for Paul. And the light identifies itself as the resurrected Christ. Well, how can that be? I mean, they, they killed Jesus, they buried him. Um, no, he, he's the eternal God. You can't kill God. You could kill the humanity of Jesus, but not the deity. And it's that deity that's now coming for the Apostle Paul. And, and, and Jesus says, uh, why are you persecuting me? Now, if I'd have been Paul, I'd have said, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting your church. Well, my friend, they are one and the same. If you mess with the church, you are messing with the eternal Son of God. But that is the essence of false religion. Uh, I was reading uh, the testimony of a uh, uh, one-time pagan on the website of the Gospel Coalition. Um, the lady's name was uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She was an English professor, Stanford. Um, she was also a lesbian and a postmodern. And she said something I'd never really heard before. She said, as a 
postmodern, I was persecuting Jesus. Because as you know, in postmodernism, there's no eternal truth. Christ is eternal truth. Clothed in the soft envelope of humanity, invading the world to gather his own. Eternal truth. Um, it's, uh, I, I suspect in our American Academy, uh, radically denied, but the legacy of the old Paul uh, exists alive and well in the Academy. Uh, but when you deny eternal truth, you are vacating any sense of true purpose and meaning whatsoever. Because if it's just about you and your existentialism, um, someday that will come to a radical end. And nothingness is not genuine meaning and purpose. Uh, then, then the eternal Christ uses a powerful metaphor. He, he says... Uh, uh, I have a goat or sharp stick, and you're resisting the irresistible purposes of God. It's kind of a radical way to express efficacious grace, but powerful as it is, God has a way of goading us into loving Him and rejecting self for Him and His glory. And, and notice in verse 16, uh, no real explicit reference to salvation, but there's a conveyance of a new identity, which is salvation, by the way. Uh, we were once old and now we're new in Christ. Verse 16, but arise. I mean, the glory of Christ had pressed Paul to his face. But his grace says, arise and stand on your feet for this purpose. Notice purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Notice, notice something very radical here. I have appeared to you. What's with the other men and women that were with him? The resurrected Christ came for one. And got exactly what he wanted. The one. Thankfully, he gathers the many. Through his sovereign grace and power. And the exalted Lord commissions him as a servant and witness. Very interesting, the word uh, appoint here is uh, literally to take in one's hand. So, another way of metaphorically saying that uh, he was the elect of Jesus Christ. And while once he was uh, his enemy... Um, a radical enemy, a postmodern, if you will, in his own way. The resurrected Christ came for that one and gathered him uh, to belong to him. And the appointment is the servant and witness. First thing, the word servant uh, is literally the word under rower. Um, I really admit to you, I don't fully understand what an under-roar is, but I was reading a book recently by some of the great battles of American civilization by Victor David Hansen. It reminded me that uh, in ancient battles, uh, naval battles to be sure, uh, there was of course the deck of a ship, I get that. Underneath the deck there were, there were men stacked one on top of another that rode the ship. Uh, 
Most of the time they were shackled because they were imprisoned in some way. Uh, that's what you were, under rower, <laughs> and God set you free. Uh, points uh, the Apostle Paul uh, to be his servant, to serve his galley. Um, humbling thought, but to be impressed in the service of uh, the great king is, is uh, in and of itself meaning and purpose. He's also a witness. Um, reminded of uh, the word servant is used uh, of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Let a, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Uh, there's one Lord, by the way. We're servants of Christ and stewards of uh, the mysteries of God. And uh, it's required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Uh, your meaning and purpose in life is to be faithful to the captain of the ship. To serve his purposes. And derivative of that, this most profound sense of meaning and satisfaction and joy. Because we're serving a supernatural cause, alien to us of radical power and glory. Uh, the word for witness is a very familiar term in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be my witnesses. Uh, it's really derivative of uh, an appointment that God made to new Israel in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. If you'd like to turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah chapter 43. Because I believe uh, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, is alluding... Uh, to Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. In order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and before me there was no other God whatsoever. This radical God that comes for the Apostle Paul, if you're a Christian, he came for you. No other God could have arrested you. Claimed you, because there is no other God. Only the God of Scripture uh, that comes to gather His own sovereign grace. Uh, the, the important thing to take out of the illusion of Isaiah 43 into Acts is that God in His grace is reconstituting a new Israel. Not ethnically, but spiritually. That's why there's an analog, for example, the 12 apostles, analog to 12 tribes, God starting over. Because the old Israel rejected him and failed, so he's, that doesn't stop Christ. He simply starts again. This time he won't be denied because he comes in sovereign power. The purpose of the sending of the apostle Paul is in the three infinitives of verse 18. Third one is not really translated as an infinitive, but I'll try to make it one. I mean, it is uh, exegetically an infinitive in the Greek text, but uh, notice what Paul's going to do for the resurrected Christ. To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. And from the dominion of Satan to God. In order to receive the forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified 
by faith in me. No other God whatsoever. Faith in the eternal Christ. No other Savior. I mean, Luke is pretty radical of that in Acts chapter 4. No other name under heaven. None whatsoever. Uh, You could go to the depths of the ocean, you could be an astronaut and go into space, and you will find no other name under heaven except the name of Jesus Christ. And Christ has just recommissioned his enemy in a moment, reconstituted him a new person to go open eyes, uh, to turn men uh, from one kingdom to another, that they might receive uh, forgiveness, which, as you know, I believe is the greatest treasure of all of life. For the eternal God, whom all of us have incensed by violating his law to forgive us through Jesus Christ. Uh, It's important to realize that this too is an allusion to Isaiah. Uh, The first two servant songs, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, uh, the servant son, who is Christ, is reconstituted to be a light to the nations. And now he's giving that mission to the Apostle Paul. And so the servant son is going to affect, as you know, the uh, new exodus that's proclaimed quite radically in uh, Isaiah, uh, becomes truly realized in the life of the church. Again, great meaning and purpose. Immediate fulfillment was in the exodus from the Babylonian captivity. Our exodus is we are exiting this world for the world to come. Defining of our meaning and purpose. We belong to another kingdom. Because we understand the kingdom of the world are all going to topple, all going to fail. They're not unlike humanity. The grass withers and the flower fades. Only the word of the Lord stands forever. And now that resurrected Christ is going to be the difference in the transformation of the Apostle Paul. And I would submit to you that if you're a Christian, the resurrected Christ came for you and did for you exactly what he did for Paul. The resurrected Christ that death could not hold. The grave had to let him go because he's sovereign over the grave. And I would remind you, that is a person that you must deal with. Someone who can command the grave is someone to make your Savior. Because only he can. He does for his people. In this case, the Apostle Paul. It's also an echo. The the light is an echo from Genesis 1. Uh, echo is a faint illusion, literarily. Um, Genesis 1, there was darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God didn't have to go to Lowe's and buy a bunch of batteries. He simply commanded. And there was light. By the way, that's one way you came to faith in Jesus Christ. He stood before your dead, dark, 
evil heart and said, let there be light. And you were drawn to the light. The eternal effulgence of the resurrected Savior. And so in this case, the resurrected Savior is advancing his spiritual creation. Uh, that the new creation has begun in him. The old is Genesis 1. The new, if you will, is John 1 or the Gospels. It's very interesting to ponder this notion of light and darkness. Uh, I know all of you get up early and uh, uh, watch the sunrise. Or maybe you've sat in a deer blind and watched the sunrise. Uh, or a duck blind. Or if you're not a hunter, maybe you're just waiting to get into the golf course. I don't know. But I'm sure you've seen the sunrise. Have you ever seen the darkness fight against the light? The darkness only has one response to the light. It retreats. There's no fighting whatsoever. Uh, essentially, you, you can't win against, against Christ. Uh, John 1, the light came into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. Because the darkness retreats. When Christ commanded you to believe, you, I mean, I, I'm sure, like me, you probably argued or resisted or, but eventually the light won. Because that's what the light of eternal glory does. It wins. It never retreats, always advancing, gathering its own. It's, it's a beautiful picture of this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 6. Speaks of the resurrected Christ as he, as he came for you. Uh, I know you weren't on a Damascus road. Maybe you weren't driving a Harley Davidson. But you were as lost as could be. Notice 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The resurrected Christ who conquered the grave came for Paul. If you know him, he came for you. If you don't know him, I trust perhaps you will flee to him and sue for peace. And it is that exalted King Messiah, the creator of the new spiritual creation, that has given Paul, and perhaps you, meaning and purpose, uh, attached to his identity. Because he invades and changes. Uh, as you know, in respect to the resurrection, Jesus foretold the resurrection time and again to his apostles. They, they didn't get it, much like you and me. There's lots of things we don't get until it becomes clear through Scripture. But these are all fulfillment of great majestic Old Testament uh, prophecies of the majesty of God. Um, you want to turn in a couple of Old Testament texts, Ezekiel 37. Um, I'm going to read from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 26:19. God says, your dead will live, your corpses will rise. And you who lie in the dust, awake and you'll shout for joy. How do dead men live? The resurrected Christ. It's the most beautiful, majestic power of all of life. 
Ezekiel 37, 12 and 13. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Certainly immediately fulfilled in the life of the twelve apostles. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. Spiritually, if you're a Christian, uh, you've been resurrected to the heavenly spheres. Uh, the resurrection has begun in him. It will also be climax when he comes uh, to command all the graves to give up their dead. Uh, another beautiful text uh, in the book of Daniel, just one book removed from Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Uh, reminder of the compelling necessity of uh, suing for peace, because there's only two destinies, everlasting glory or everlasting contempt. And the only bridge is the resurrected Redeemer. Uh, Hosea chapter 6 verse 2 he will revive us after two days he will rise us up after, on the third day that we may live in him it's begun by the way it started the, the, the point of the resurrection is that resurrected Christ came to you and gave you, you life you were spiritually dead and he made you alive he didn't even ask you he simply commanded and you lived his power Majestic grace. So, uh, that's what's happened to the Apostle Paul. I, I trust it's happened to you. In its own way. But the same person, the resurrected Savior. Divine effulgence of the eternal Son of God coming for His own. And our purpose, absent divine power, is to share the gospel to God, if he would be pleased to open eyes, uh, to transfer people from death to life. Uh, that the Savior is the only passport. All others will be turned back and rejected. And again, to promote the forgiveness of sin uh, that's only only had in him. Notice, notice again, Acts 26, verse 18. You may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified by faith in me, the resurrected Christ. So this purpose and destiny derivatively is is ours as well. Um, we are we are commissioned in a different way, but nonetheless, commissioned, and that's our meaning and purpose. Um, we'll simply back into this. If you want to turn to Isaiah uh, chapter sixty-one, uh, you and I as Christians uh, are the priests of God. I understand that some denominations have uh, 
special people that are ordained as priests, and sometimes they wear special clothes, and uh, on and on. Um, I believe every Christian is a priest that serves the eternal God according to the gifts that God has given them uh, to manifest his beauty and transcendence as they serve the temple of God, uh, who is Jesus Christ. Now that is as great a vocation as there ever can be to serve the living God as his priests. And that's what he makes of all of us. Um, so that our identity and purpose is in him. Um, very quickly, because of time, uh, Revelation chapter uh, 1 verse 6, he says, you, you, are, you are priests and kings. All over our world today, people struggle with meaning and purpose and destiny. Think of it, the eternal God has consecrated and ordained you as a priest in his temple. How purposeful can it get? Um, the Apostle Peter uh, says of us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So I always kind of laugh at my ordained friends that, again, I don't, I don't mock their uniforms. I mean, I, I want to be respectful and use their titles. Uh, I, I'm just a son of God just like you. Uh, but I was ordained at the new birth when the resurrected Christ came and said, live, let there be light. That was my ordination. It was yours too, by the way. Uh, you're a priest in his temple. Serve him. It's meaning and purposefulness. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's Acts 26, 18. If you will, that's your mission statement. That's why you live and breathe. Uh, David Powell in his uh, book, The Isianic New Exodus, that really his understanding of the book of Acts is reminding us of who we are. From the prophecies of Isaiah fulfilled in Christ in the book of Acts. Great picture of this and the transformation of this uh, lady that I referred to uh, earlier uh, Rosaria Butterfield, lesbian, English professor, postmodern, supernatural Christ, came to her through his word and radically changed who she was. I don't know everything about her testimony, but to me that's as radical change as could be. Someone of an alternative lifestyle belonged and sold out to it lock, stock, and barrel. And I'm not throwing stones at some special sin because in my own way, I belong to the same camp. Maybe different label. We were all dead. Just manifest itself in different ways. And it's all over our culture, so sad. I, I read tragically of suicides and chemical dependence and just people that are collapsing on themselves until Christ comes. And if he came for you, he came out of eternal love to save and to recommission. Give life meaning and purpose. Listen to what uh, Dr. Butterfield says. 
I didn't choose Christ. Nobody chooses Christ. Christ chooses you or you're dead. It's God's sovereign grace. Supernatural Christ. In her case, when Christ met her, she says it wasn't a pretty story. She calls it a train wreck. It was a resurrected Christ that came, that uh, recommissioned her. Now she's a uh, wife, a mother. How did that change occur? The sovereign Lord who came for you and who has commissioned you to serve him as the eternal temple of God and to transform you from glory to glory. That's purpose. That's meaning. Let's revel in it. We will do this this morning in the sacrament of the Lord's table. As, uh, as you know, the first uh, Sunday of the month, it's our great joy uh, to be in obedience to our Savior in uh, the cups and the receptacles. Um, certainly want to thank you for coming to be with us uh, this the Lord's Day. Um, a couple of announcements in your bulletin. Uh, we will meet for prayer next Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, as we entertain uh, the needs of the church uh, in prayer. Uh, remind you again of our organ recital on the evening of the 21st. And uh, after the recital, I think it'll last... 45, 50 minutes. Uh, don't be too rigid in holding me to that time frame, but I think it would be a great time as we uh, enjoy God in music. And then we will uh, repair to Johnny's um, uh, after it, uh, courtesy of the church, to just enjoy a time of fellowship together. Um, lastly, church picnic on June the 6th. Uh, 6 p.m. There's some, you know, more about this as uh, time comes closer. But does anyone have something they'd like to bring to the attention of the church before we are dismissed? Well, good enough. Let's stand for concluding prayer and word of benediction. Uh, our gracious God is thy eternal sons. May the joy, the wonderment of amazing grace never let go of us. And now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.